0: I don't believe in being defeated. You can feel defeated in the moment, but being defeated is a choice. That's when you say, I've had enough, I'm out. That's never been an option for me. So when things would get hard, I would say, there's got to be a solution, let's figure it out. And even before we filed bankruptcy, I made James go three years before we filed bankruptcy because I was like, nope, we can figure it out, We'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. Before finally, I was like, ah, we can't figure it out, you know, like, I don't know, because you didn't know how long the economy was going to be down, right? You kept thinking like, oh, there's another solution. We'll sell this, we'll sell that, we'll sell this. And, and so when things got hard, I had to make sure that I didn't make it about me. I'm not a victim. Like, why is this happening to me? All my friends have all these great things and this and that. And that's where you hand over your power. That's where you head into defeat is when you say, why me? I'm a victim. It's not fair. Like, well, I'd rather have it happen to me than somebody else. That's definitely my opinion. I would rather take all the suffering on myself than see anybody else suffer. Because I'm like, I know I can handle it. So heading into those really tough years... I knew it was only temporary, and I knew that if we just stuck to the plan—the fake plan, there was really not real plan—but <laughs> I knew that I knew that we would eventually get through it. And James and I, one night, were laying in bed, and it was um, in like 2011, before the 2012 record. And I said to him, "I have a feeling this is going to be bigger than we could possibly imagine." And he's like, "So do I." And I'm like, "I don't know what that means," but I just think it's
1: going to be huge. Welcome to the Yogi Triathlete podcast. We are Jess and BJ and we're on a mission to create a better world. Now, this may seem like a ridiculous mission to some, but let me break it down a bit. We do believe because we've seen it in our own lives. That by going inside and getting to know ourselves really freaking well through our training, through journaling, through reflection, through breaking down walls, being brave, doing scary things, through looking at the truth of a situation and living with honesty, that we and everyone else who is up for the task will be more of the change we all desire to see in the world. We must stop fighting for our limitations and embrace that there is nothing put on our hearts by happenstance. Life is a precious series of moments to be lived and felt, not glossed over and wished away. We are stronger than we know, and there's nothing better than the waves of life to reveal the limitless strength that we all hold within ourselves right now. Our guest today is Sunny Lawrence, and as her name suggests, she truly is a ray of light for us all. She is real about her struggles and strengths and is no stranger to trying times. She is the wife of James Lawrence, who we had on the show in episode 41. Just in case you've been living under a rock, I'm referring to Iron Cowboy, who in 2015 rocked the world by completing 50 Ironmans in 50 states in 50 days. At this time, BJ and I were living in Rhode Island, and on that day that the Cowboy crew arrived in our state, we got to be a part of this amazing feat. And I remember seeing Sunny across the parking lot and just being in awe at her level of support for her husband's dreams and wondering if I could be as strong as her. As of late, I've been listening to Sunny share her perspectives and story on various podcasts and her social media channels, and we're just so grateful to have her with us today so that we can all get to know her better and understand how she manages to keep shining her light in the world. Sunny, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So we, uh, you know, this, this community knows James, and because they know James, they know of you. And um but we want to know from you, little definition of like who you are. Who who are you in this world?
0: Well, I have to say that those who know me know me well because I'm very personable and I love people. Um, I've always had a lot of energy and a lot of zest for life. I have a, a daughter that's the same way, and when. I start to feel overwhelmed and remind myself that I was 10,000 times that at her age. So <laughs> I uh, have learned to rein in the energy as I've gotten a little older and control myself a little better. But yeah, I just have a love for life. I love being active. I love adventure. I love anything that makes me move and helps me connect with people.
1: That, um, I love how you just described that. Like you've got fire, you've got a lot of fire, right? And what is the sun? The sun is a big ball of fire. And, um, but as we get older, we, if we're paying attention to those opportunities that life gives us to learn about ourselves and how we move through the world, we begin to know how to navigate that power under control, like that fire under control. And I, I think that that is like a meekness having that power under control and also just the ultimate type of power where we're not always just, it's hard when you have that fire to not just be like, Oh my God, you're doing this wrong and you're doing this wrong and you should be doing this and you should be doing that. But to, but to allow people to have their experience. And as it's it's
0: all about channeling it because your greatest strength is also your greatest weakness, right? If, if I have a bold personality, that's my strength. But sometimes if it's too bold, then I'm damaging relationships and experiences rather than using them to share my gift. So it's definitely all about channeling that. And maturity and experience definitely helps with that wisdom.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, over time, right, we learn and we don't do it all perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, And how are you, as a mom of five, how are you channeling this and, and allowing for your kids to Have their own experience when you also have this fierce mama bear energy, too?
0: You know, when I was growing up, I always wanted to be a boy and I wanted to do all the things the boys wanted to do. And my parents were like, okay, take it easy. We can, you know, you can play sports and stuff with the neighbors, but you have to kind of rein it out of control and still be a girl and i appreciated the balance they created for me they did a pretty good job with that and so as i got older and my personality you know turned into an adult and i was discovering my own path in life um i began having children and at first my oldest daughter lucy um i had babysat and spent so much time with kids so being a mom was was not hard for me it came very naturally but her personality was a little bit hard for me to figure out. And I realized that she's a lot like a sister of mine that I've always butted heads with. And it took me till she was about five to really kind of get her. And my second daughter, she just cried all the time and she still cries all the time. She's almost 17 and she spends a lot of her days in tears, but that's just how she manifests her emotions. And so it, with those first two girls, uh, especially them being so different I was able to kind of dissect the path as a parent and go, okay, this is kind of catered to each kid, and I have to realize that that's who they are, and it's my job to help direct and guide them. It is not my job to make them become anything specific. So Lucy, my oldest daughter, people would be like, oh, she's so stubborn. I was like, oh, she's not stubborn. She's determined. That girl knows what she wants, and she knows how to make it happen. So I wanted to make sure I turned those things into strengths instead of into weaknesses and with Lily, she was always everybody's favorite because she was so charming and so fun, but then so emotional that people were like, oh, I don't know what to do with this child. It's fine, you know? So as I, as I, as I caught on to that and the differentiation between the two personalities, I realized this was going to be an exciting journey. And then I got my third daughter and she was just like stone cold for the world until she was like eight. You know, people would try to make her laugh, and she'd just stare at him like she wanted to murder him. People were like, "I'm like, don't feel bad. She's just kind of crusty like that." Yeah. My sister used to call her Maggie Simpson because she just walked around the house in the past fire and just like glared at everybody, no emotion, you know. So, and you know, Dolly's really high maintenance with um, her looks and stuff. It's not not her personality, but everything's dazzling and gems and rhinestones and lace. And so it's been really fun to allow these kids to be who they are and to support them in their journey. If they want to wear this weird stuff, I let them wear it. You know, if they want to have fake nails, I let them have fake. It's like, that's who they are. So I, I have really enjoyed that. And I have never tried to bottle them into something they're not my son just wants to be superhero in pajamas all day you know it was like okay you have to change for school but then you can come on put your jammies on so i've really enjoyed the journey and and it's made i think it's made parenting amazing for me because there was no resistance i just let them be who they were there was never any of this so mm.
2: how did you or how would a parent get to that point of because it takes some massaging in that relationship to not to not have a um, a deliberate purpose for or intention for your child, and sticking to that versus uh, realizing maybe you're micromanaging the process and being able to get in that gap and just pause and see that there's a higher purpose to this. So maybe there was something for you, or maybe something you can that worked really well that we can relate to to parents who struggle with that. An process.
0: Excellent question. So as a parent, the expectations we set are about us, right? So it's like, oh, I want to have a kid who. So then you have this kid and you're like, well, I've always wanted to have a kid who did these things. So you need to be the one to do these things, right? Instead of saying, oh, here's this infant. I can do whatever I want until they're one and they start to show some personality. So it really takes some Mm self-restraint to say, I'm not going to step in and tell you what to do. In fact, my third daughter, Daisy, she hates it because she wants me to tell her what to do and I won't. So she says, hey, should I do this or this? And I was like, well, what do you want to do? Mom, just tell me. Or what time should I come home? And I'm like, well, what time do you want to come home? Do you know, are you doing something? Mom, you're the mom. Just tell me what time to come home. I'm like, I'm not telling you what time to come home. Like you need to give me a sales pitch. We're doing this. I'd like to come home around this time. Or, you know, a daughter that's like, I want to finish this movie. Can I come home at 10, 15 instead of 10? I'm not going to tell them what to do. I'm going to guide them. So with your own families and even your own relationships in general, analyze which part is about your needs and how you're trying to make it about what you want, as opposed to what they want. You know, it's not like, oh, you don't have to eat your vegetables because you don't want to, but it's about life. If they want to wear a big fluffy dress with giant Elmo socks and tennis shoes to church, let them wear it. Who cares? Right. Where if you're worried about your image and how it's going to make you look, then you're going to say, no, 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 because people are going to think that I'm a negligent mother. Well, who cares what people think? Right. Your kids strutting in there like they're all that with their almost socks on and flashy Dora shoes like they're doing their thing. So think about why you want your kids to do things a certain way and decide if it's what you want because of your own insecurities or if it's what you think is actually best for them.
1: (laughs) That's pretty epic. And it's out of the box. And it's not, it's so interesting because it's the, it is the path of ease and flow, but it's not easy. You have to be willing to flow with it. Have you had backlash um, because of this allowance to allow your children to become who? they were always meant from to be. other parents, <laughs> never from my kids. Or,
0: you know, for instance, if I say, okay, so James and I were out of town a couple weeks ago and my daughter works at a trampoline place. And she said, Hey, they're going to do this zombie before Halloween, the zombie thing from 11 to 1am. And I was like, well, that sounds fun. And she's like, I'll take Quinn. I'll take Dolly. So she's going to take her 11-year-old brother, her 12-year-old sister, some cousins, whatever. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Where other parents were like, well, why would you let them be out past midnight? And how come, don't you know there's a city curfew? And I'm like, who cares? They're all going together. This teenage girl is willing to take her younger siblings. So a lot of times I get parents who are like, oh, you just let them do whatever they want. And you just, I do, but what they want is to make good choices, to stay in communication, to connect with each other. You know, they have their own standards and values. My oldest comes home every night at like 1030. She's like, I'm tired. I don't, I'm 18, but I want to go to bed. So I've never had to say you have to be home by this time or you, it's just not who I am. So I get backlash from other parents who are like, Oh, you make us look bad. And I'm like, why is it about what you look like? You know, what does my parenting have anything to do with your parenting?
1: How do you reconcile that? I mean, because you're also a sensitive being. How do you reconcile that? Um, yeah, getting that backlash, but staying strong in what you believe.
0: It, you, I used to feel like I needed to explain the method to the madness, you know, where now I'm just like, yeah, I don't give a crap. And as, as the kids have gotten older, you know, I associate with a lot of teenagers and I've seen them grow up from young births and whatever. When you see the way um, kids connect with their parents, I don't, I don't have any insecurities about the way I parent. I'm very close to my kids. They tell me everything. I mean, they literally tell me everything. Sometimes they tell me stuff. and I'm like, Holy crap. I can't, my kid just told me that, you know, <laughs> like straight <laughs> up tell me everything. And ask questions, very bold questions, very personal questions. And so when I have their friend come over and tell me how they can't talk to their parents, their parents never hear what they're trying to say, their parents never allow them to make choices. I don't care what that parent's saying because their child is telling me how that's working for them. Mm. So over time, I think I, I just am confident in what I'm doing. And so I don't, I don't take into account what, I mean, we read books like Dr. Phil books and stuff together as a family. We do scripture study and family prayer. And then we read, you know, these books together as a family and we discuss them. And, you know, so I'm like, I feel really confident about what I'm doing that when somebody else steps in and tells me I should be doing it differently. One, I take it into consideration. And then I say, yeah, yay or nay. I read a quote yesterday. I had somebody posted that I loved it. It said, I will never take feedback from somebody. I would not ask advice. And I was like, hot dog, that is the best dang quote I've ever heard. So if that person's giving me feedback on my parenting, would I ever ask them for parenting advice? If the answer is no, then why do I care what their feedback is, right? So,
1: But I feel like if those parents came to you and, said, and asked for your advice and, and for your listening ear, you would be there for them.
0: Absolutely. And in the most humble way, I have a lot of parents come talk to me about communicating with their teens. Mm. So, um, a lot of times I tell them to ask my kids. So they'll come say, Hey, how did you? And I'm like, Hey, go ask my kids, ask them what they think. Cause that's coming from a child's perspective. And they're saying, this is what works. And so it doesn't. In fact, Lucy and I have been taking notes for the last year, my oldest, she just turned 18 about, because she's like, you should write a parenting book. And I'm like, "Eh, I've always wanted to do that since I was young. But there's so many books and so many things now. But she's been taking notes as a child on what she felt like works and what doesn't. And she wants to write a book together. But I would make it her book. But she as a teenager is saying, parents, this is what works. And this is what doesn't. So a lot of times I refer them off to the kids and have them talk to the
1: kids. And this is your children in this open communication, this solid foundation that you guys have as a family unit. This is, this is a reflection of you. It's also a reflection of, of you and James as, you know, as, a, as, a, as a unit together. How have you figured out who you are and, and standing so brave and, and true to yourself? How have you discovered who you are inside, which is allowing this light to shine and it's allowing for all your children to find their own light within?
0: It was definitely a journey because growing up, I was so loud and obnoxious that I had everybody telling me that I shouldn't be that. And then I hit my teens and I went all the way to the side of the pendulum and I was quiet and submissive and kind of like a, um, I don't know, people walked on me and took advantage of me. And I was just always like, well, let's just love one another kind of a thing. And then I headed it in my 20s and I had some serious like skin problems. And I realized that was coming from suppression of these emotions. And it took me some time in my 20s to figure out how I was. But even being married to James, he's quite a calm person. And he's always like, why are you yelling? You know? He's like, why are you so excited? And I was like, I don't know. I have so much passion for life. I can't control it. So it was a balance of finding what was socially acceptable and what wasn't, or when it was the time to share things and when it wasn't. Um, And so as I've gotten older, you know, now heading into my 30s, and even the struggles, James and I went through together in building the brand and working together as a partnership when everybody else had abandoned us, you know, that really helped define who I was. And I think the most powerful way to take my children down that path is to share my experiences. So Lily, my second daughter, my cute little crazy fun redhead a lot of people will say to her you're so happy it's so annoying and I'm like people used to say that to me and this is how it affected me and this is how I handled it and this is how I came back so my experiences have been really beneficial in helping save them the trouble of losing their identity and then having to find their way back But if you're not sharing your stories, and it's not lecturing, right? It's not like, oh, a big deal. Do you know what happened to me? It's not about me. It's about sharing the experiences and saying, I know how that feels. That's really hard. And then a day later, coming back and saying, you know, I've had some time to think about our conversation because the moment's got to be about her. Then I say, I've had some time to think about our conversation. And these are some of the things that made me think about, made me think of when I had that same experience and how much it hurt me and how I came back from that and how I handle it now. So I think sharing your experiences with them as stories, not as lectures, is extremely powerful in helping them find their path. Mm.
1: And I know you journal. Um, <clears throat> you shared a really powerful, a couple of powerful posts on this journaling that you were doing during 2012, which you say is like one of the toughest years of your life. And Definitely. I want to go down that rabbit hole a little bit because I believe it is these waves of life that are our opportunities to heal, to grow, to to really find out who we are, how strong we are. And because on the other side of that mountain is um, there's always that that beautiful clearing. Um and journaling was something that you were doing. And one day you just journaled all about what you were tired of. And there were some Pretty heavy things on that list. Like, I'm tired of being, I'm tired of food stamps. I'm tired of being patient. I'm tired of eating healthy. I'm tired of feeling like a single mom. I'm tired. I mean, it is so raw and so powerful and so beautiful. And I think at any given time in anyone's life during a wave where we're really brought to our knees, that we could make a list very similar to that and that it's okay to just voice what you're just so sick and tired of, I feel like it helps to lessen the hold that those things have on my life. But um, what is your experience or perspective that you can share about journaling? And then and then specifically going into um, what you shared about that time in your life.
0: Okay. Well, it's interesting because when I was reading through um, uh, some of the journal – entries, actually on a video, my daughter, Lily, my second daughter said to me, I had no idea that you could have been so sad. And I was like, see, even behind the sunshine, there was a journey that got me here. And I've always been full of sunshine, but I didn't want to pretend. So optimism is like, oh, everything's going to be okay. Right. And I have been an optimistic person, but at the same time I was barfing up all that garbage like you said that you know i didn't i didn't want it to be weighing me down anymore so finding ways to barf this up and get it out of my body and my system was what made it healthy to stay optimistic had i just said oh it's not going to work out and i'm going <gasps> all the time that's not optimism that's destructive it's about figuring out where that channel is to dump the garbage and dump the mess in order to feel light enough to stay optimistic So 2012, I kept a blog and as I wrote about it, this, you know, nobody supported us. And in fact, 2012, my parents were really great. Um, But 2012 was particularly hard. Aside from losing everything, everybody who had loved us and supported us and been our friends literally dropped us like we were hot. Even family connections and such were just like, you guys suck, James is irresponsible, he doesn't care for his family. And um, I was like, if I'm not complaining, you don't have the right to step in and have an opinion. Now, if I was walking around saying, oh, this isn't fair, this and that, blah, 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 then they'd have the right to come after James. But I wasn't complaining, so how come all these people are literally trying to talk me into being upset with James? I'm like, dude, I'm kosher, I've got my outlet. So as I blogged and I was straightforward, my personality is very forthright. I'm, I would consider myself eloquent, but also very good at making my point. In fact, one of my sisters said, man, if I said the same things you said, everybody would hate me. But for some reason, you can say them. You know, I guess I'm a master with my linguistic magic. But I was eloquent in these blogs, being honest about my circumstances and expressing my my struggles. And I actually should go back and read those. They would be interesting. But I had people coming at me like, why are you staying married? This guy's a loser, Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, whoa, this is fulfilling the wrong purpose. And so I was like, I'm out. So I need to look back and see how far I rode into that. But during that year, I... It was my job. James and I were on a journey together, but we had parallel responsibilities. And my responsibility, his was, of course, the career and making that happen, which was virtually impossible. And mine was keeping the home running with everything, you know, with finances and food and kids and this and that. And I was babysitting and I was doing emotional work for people to earn money on the side and carrying my kids, all my nieces and nephews I was reading some of these journal entries about nieces and nephews being dumped on me, and nobody acknowledging my struggles, but just taking advantage of me. And so that list, part you know several of those things on that list are people taking advantage of me and me having raised my kids to have really good manners, but then getting stuck with other people's kids who had terrible manners. Or you know, my kids were potty trained, but their kids were peeing on my couch when they napped. And they didn't want to buy pull-ups because they were too expensive. And, you know, things like my kids never colored on the walls with markers, but I'm scrubbing marker off the walls for their kids. So it was like I had no benefit or reward for raising my kids to be so well behaved because I had a house full of kids who weren't. And you know, I didn't want to put myself on a pedestal like, oh, my kids are so awesome and you're suck. Because that wasn't the point. The point was I was so tired of doing the work. That I had parented in a way to be able to avoid. And then it was all coming down in the same year. So I felt like writing that list was an appropriate way to express my struggles without attacking anybody, without coming at anybody else and saying, you're inadequate, you're not good enough, you know, things like that. But they were real true struggles that just never ended, they just kept coming. So, and I mean, with food stamps, it was like, James and I were living off a thousand dollars a month as a family of seven and our rent was 600. And the government is just like doing everything they could to prevent helping us. And I was like, listen, we need help for a short time. We lost everything in the recession because he was a mortgage broker. He was coaching triathletes and, you know, and it was just, Every three months, it was like I had to submit more of this and more of that. And it made me frustrated at people who abused the system to make it so hard for the people who really needed it. And, you know, we we're only on it for a short time and we have paid well into the tax system to take care of the rest of that, you know, what we borrowed per se. But there were just so many things about life at that point that felt unfair for the choices that I had made to make sure life was okay. But yet I was at the disadvantage of everybody else's choices. So
1: what do you think? Because at that time James was, I believe, in, in Europe. He yeah, was Yeah, July. That that was the
0: really bad five, six
1: weeks for us. And what was he doing over there? He was pursuing a, a record, right? Yeah, so he was doing thirty Ironmans and
0: there was a stretch in July where there were several in Europe. And then uh, New York, like Lake Placid, coming home. So he just stayed out there because we couldn't afford. I mean, his part of the story is that he flew out to Europe and didn't have any money, and so he was sleeping in a car and eating race nutrition for food until he made a connection with a local person who put him up at their uncle's house, and then they put him up with their uncle's house and they pack a lunch for him. And so his struggles were just as deep as mine; they were just different. Which is why it made it so unfair that people were so hard on him because they didn't know what he was doing to make this all work. They only saw what I was doing.
2: We're we're so we're so caught up in that visual visual like what we see in social media, what we see totally. on, the, on the surface, right? And there's so much there's so much more depth to people's there's stories. Sauce.
0: There's so much sauce, right? Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, I'm so glad that we're able to get underneath all this because it's it's super important to see. Uh, perspective. And if you want to just, you know, take athletes, for example, we see athletes on, on social media and we see them where they're at, you know, they, they achieve these big goals, but they never question what happened leading up to that point. Yeah. The highs below. The yeah. To get yeah. there. Um, which is, I, and I know the story of the 50, 50, 50, that's like the, that's like the, that's the end. You don't see like everything, even before you guys lined up, um, in that bus. And so, um, what is your <laughs> relentlessness like? All these people moving away from you uh, when you guys were when you get, were struggling, parents and and the media. Like, what is the level of relentlessness that um, was in you to begin, and, and where does that stand now? Like, has it grown anymore, or have you has it just been this pursuit of I know it deep inside. This is what I need to do, and I will do everything possible to get there.
0: Excellent question. Uh, Growing up, I grew up really poor. And my parents were really creative at making things work. So my parents had a business debt and they traded their beds. And they slept on the floor. Um, Things like that, that they were always creative in making, figuring it out, figuring it out. So I don't know if I subconsciously picked up on that as a child, or if I kind of figured out as I got older, but I've always been a really great problem solver. And there's eight kids in my family. I'm number seven, six girls, boys are in the middle. And all of us, there's one thing we have in common and it's problem solving. There is a lot of colorful variety in these eight kids. But the one thing we have in common is problem solving. So I definitely have to credit my parents to that if that's consistent among all of us. But I just, I don't believe in being defeated. You can feel defeated in the moment, but being defeated is a choice. That's when you say, I've had enough, I'm out. That's never been an option for me. So when things would get hard, I would say, there's got to be a solution, let's figure it out. And even before we filed bankruptcy, I made James go three years before we filed bankruptcy because I was like, nope, we can figure it out, We'll figure it out, we'll figure it out, we'll figure it out. Before finally, I was like, ah, we can't figure it out. You know, like, I don't know, because you didn't know how long the economy was going to be down, right? You kept thinking like, oh, there's another solution. We'll sell this, we'll sell that, we'll sell this. And, and so when things got hard, I had to make sure that I didn't make it about me. I'm not a victim. Like, why is this happening to me? All my friends have all these great things and this and that. And that's where you hand over your power. That's where you head into defeat is when you say, why me? I'm a victim. It's not fair. Like, well, I'd rather have it happen to me than somebody else. That's definitely my opinion. I would rather take all the suffering on myself than see anybody else suffer. Because I'm like, I know I can handle it. So heading into those really tough years... I knew it was only temporary. And I knew that if we just stuck to the plan, the fake plan, there was really not <laughs> real plan. But I knew, that, I knew that we would eventually get through it. And James and I one night were laying in bed, and it was um, in like 2011, before the 2012 record. And I said to him, I have a feeling this is going to be bigger than we could possibly imagine. And he's like, so do I. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. But I just think it's going to be huge. And this is before 50, 50, 50, existed. And so 2012 happens and James wants to pursue another Avenue. And I just, I mean, all along, I've always known it was the right thing to do. I knew. And if you don't know for yourself that you're on the correct path for you, you had better get down on your knees and pray to your God or sit on your lap and go into that meditation and figure out if that's what you're supposed to be doing. Because if you don't have that passion and you don't have that drive, what's keeping you in it? So it didn't matter how rocky it got. It didn't matter how hard it God had told me, this is the path. This is what you're supposed to be doing. I promise I'll take care of you. Now, will I make it painless? No. <laughs> right? Like you're going to suffer. You're going to grow. And I knew that. And there were days that I was on my knees and I was like, I can't do this anymore. And the voice was like, yes, you can. I'll help you get back up. The sun will come out tomorrow. And it always did. So you've got to know that relentlessness comes from knowing without a doubt, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And if you don't know, you had better figure out if that's what you're supposed to be doing or you're never going to have that conviction.
1: Yeah and I think um you had shared something on a podcast like when you were younger Uh, about how like, you didn't know what you wanted to do. Like you wanted to meet everybody and see everybody. And I, I, if I could take a caption, a a voice caption of me at 17, that was me. Like, I didn't want to go to college. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go the traditional, it didn't feel right in my heart. And I would always, my mother would say, what do you want? I'm like, I want to meet everybody and I want to see everything. And I want to, you know, I just want to spread my wings. And, um, if you if you don't know, like if you're not taking the time to go in, what, whatever that is, whatever your God is, whatever the, the universe, like whatever oh. you want to call it, it doesn't matter. We're all speaking the same language. It's there for you right now to go in and get into that calm, that peace that's with, within you now and start to sort it out. And yeah, does it does it all come in like, oh, here it is in the perfect plan and it looks great on paper? Rare- <laughs> yeah, rarely does it look good on paper. It almost always on paper looks like you're crazy to do this. Um, and I think that when we do... Um, some of the things you're saying are just just sending chills through my whole body because Be and I have have lived this um, in our in our relative degree, um those moments of just being terrified. Like I can't do this anymore, but knowing that there's no other thing to do but to keep going and to have that trust. And I think that when we get brought to our knees, we there is this surrender to something greater. Um, which is so beautiful and extremely painful at the same time. But when we begin to get clear on what it is, we begin to understand who we are. And for, for people who are like, oh, my God, that's me. I don't know what I want. I feel like I'm treading water. I'm going through the motions. I'm punching the tickets and I'm, you know, I'm ticking off the tasks, but nothing really feels like it has a lot of meaning. How would you guide somebody into like figuring out who they are, like their authenticity in, in this world? Because I, I believe that, you know, we're all here on purpose and we're all a really critical piece of this fabric of humanity and uh, we need people to be more of who they are. So how do they find their authenticity?
0: So before I, before I answer that, I have one comment that I thought about and it's two, when it comes to taking risks. If we knew our potential, we would never start. And James and I have said, had we known what the 50 is going to be like, no way we would have done it. No way. So part of your dreams is that you can't know too much too fast or you won't do it. So you only get to know a little bit at a time, right? You only get to know a little bit at a time. The rest, you've just got to ride that faith and say, I'm going to freaking make this thing happen. So when it comes to authenticity, I did a video on this uh, yesterday or on Wednesday. And authenticity comes from what you dream and fantasize about. So the example I used is I really hate plays, and I apologize for the passion in which I explain this, but I hate them. They make me want to die. <laughs> and people are commenting on that like it's the funniest thing, but I'm like I'm serious. James and I went to New York a couple of years ago with a couple of friends, and they all went to these Broadway plays. We went to a hockey game and an NBA game, and it was the best trip ever. I did not want to see anything on Broadway, right? <laughs> so um, part of it's because they're so long. Cut them down, maybe I'll give them a chance. (laughs) I'm not dreaming of things I don't, that aren't who I am authentically. I don't want to, so I can appreciate an art. Like James and I watch documentaries on deep divers or like all these really interesting things. You're like, that's so interesting. But nothing inside of me is like, I wanna try that. So authenticity comes from what you fantasize about. Do you see yourself in Carlsbad, California, where it's warm? Or do you see yourself in Rhode Island where there's snow? Do you see yourself in the mountains, or do you see yourself in the jungle? Like, what do you dream about doing? You know, like for instance, James never dreamed about working a conventional job. And the idea of a conventional job made him want to puke. He's just like, I can't do it. He came home from Michael's Crafts one day where he got this management job when we were early in our marriage and he put his hands on his, you know, in his hands, his face in his hands and was just like, I can't live. He jokes about being in the bath and just wanting his face to sink under so he could die so he didn't have to go back. Okay, well, pretty clear, authentically, that's not who he is. But if I mention a bicycle, he lights up and things start to go crazy inside of him. Now, there's two parts to this. You don't always have to do what you love for a living. It's okay to do it for a hobby. If you love to be a triathlete or you love to golf, it's okay to do that as a hobby and do lots of it and not get paid for it. It's okay to have an accounting job. it's okay to have a you know a desk job or you know be an attorney or a doctor even like working at Walmart. It doesn't matter what you're working as long as you're doing lots of things you love and you're happy more than you're miserable. So what do you dream about? Do you dream about, I dream about vacations in a cabin with snow. I don't dream about the beach. I dream about connecting with people, being on a stage and seeing tons of women and people. I dream about dinners where I get to talk to 25 people at a table. I can guarantee you not everybody's dreaming about that, right? I don't have any problem with stage. I don't have any problem with people. That's who I am authentically. Authentically, I am about connecting with people. So if you want to find your authenticity, close your eyes and dream like crazy spend the next week every day saying if I could be doing anything right now what would I be doing and then write it down if I could be with anybody right now who would I want to be with how many hours a day would I want to be riding my bike or do I want to be on a fat bike or a mountain bike or a road bike or in a spin class they're all different right so think about what you want to be doing and do it for a week or two because you're going to get different ideas every day and it's going to, they're going to get better as you get into this process. But if you don't take that time, you won't get those
2: answers. What do you say to the, they heard that and they're all fired up as I am, but I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing. <laughs> but they, their excuse or explanation is I, I, I don't know how to, you don't understand. I can't get there. Like, that's great. You can do it, but I can't become that golfer because of X, Y, I have this much debt. I live here. Um, I've got to take care of my family. How does, how do, how do, how do we merge those two together or be able to shine a light on maybe the path to realizing that dream? So that seems to be a hang up.
0: So one is that there's no such thing as an explanation. They're just excuses. An explanation is like, Oh, there was a car accident and the road was blocked. I literally couldn't get through. That's an explanation, right? Or I got sunburned because I didn't wear sunscreen. Anytime you try to just explain yourself, it's just an excuse. So how bad do you want it? That's the question. How bad do you want it? Do you want to train for an Ironman bad enough that you're willing to get up four o'clock in the morning and make it happen? Well, if not, then you don't really want to train for an Ironman. Do you want to get control of your finances? but you're not willing to get rid of one of your cars. James and I had one car for the majority of our marriage. If you want to get control of your finances, you're going to sacrifice things you currently think are needs. We had a friend once that was like, we're struggling financially. Then they started talking about their BMWs in plural. And James said, they're not that they're not struggling that bad yet. Or they would only have one car and it wouldn't be a Beamer. Right? So, You're going to sit and talk yourself out of fulfilling your dreams and out of being happy, but that's just soaking in the swamp of victimhood. Either you want it or you don't. And if you want it, you will create a way and you can have a purpose and not fulfill it. That's up to you. If I know my purpose is to be connecting with people, but I'm too scared and I decide I'm just going to stay home all day. Well, that's my choice. I'm going to pave my path. How bad do you freaking want it, man? And are you tired? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Are you tired of being miserable? Are you tired of being the downer at the party? Are you tired of being the person that goes to the party and has nothing to talk about? Because you do nothing. Start with little tiny things. Start reading books. Start getting magazines. Or subscribe to a magazine, of a cooking magazine, if you love to cook. Just start little teeny tiny steps. Like, okay, instead of going out on Friday nights, We're going to start eating in, but we're going to make it a picnic and now it's fun and it's cool and it's unique, but we're not spending $40 and we're going to take that $40 and we're going to stick it in the bank. And then by the end of the year, you're going to have an extra $400 that you can put on a debt or use for a vacation or something like that. A lady said to me the other day, I'm having my 25 year anniversary and I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but we can't afford it. I said, you have 25 years to plan. Think about it. You had twenty-five. I don't care what's happened in that twenty-five years. You've had twenty-five years. Either you're going to buy or you're not. You're, <laughs>
2: right? It's really simple. You're asking them to take ownership of their life. Yeah. And, and to take ownership of your life gets uncomfortable because there's a lot of things you don't know People and there's circumstances. It. They hate it. People take hate it. ownership of their mm. life.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it's really interesting. There's this, I feel like there's this, I've experienced, I experienced myself and I was like, whoa, this is so interesting. Um, I hope I can articulate it where I hit this level in my life where doing what I love, um, you know, always living from my heart. But then I, I realized that I was on the precipice of this level of success that I hadn't been at before. And that was like, There was a part of me that was holding me back from taking that. So when we're talking about um, doing what you love and, you know, actually realizing that you're here on purpose and that you matter and all of that, we're talking about understanding that um, we are worthy and we are powerful and that, you know, it might not be pretty and it could be pretty tumultuous, in fact, but that we are so Strong, like you said, we don't know how strong we are. Um, we need to let that success in. We need to let that power in. We need to let ourselves um, live the happiness that's sitting within us right now.
0: You articulated that perfectly because if you don't feel worthy, you're going to sabotage yourself. Yeah. You, know, you see that in, in triathlon a lot. People all of a sudden have these mysterious injuries, and you're like, bro, you were fine yesterday. But they don't feel worthy of that success. And so they subconsciously and psychosomatically create injury. And they're like, no, but you don't understand. It's a real injury. I'm like, oh, I know it's real. I'm just saying you created it. So you really do. And okay, so how come somebody else is worthy and you're not? What makes them better than you? Let's say that you've sucked your whole life and you've been a Grinch. Well, even in the Christmas Carol, he sees this horrible life that he's been Ebenezer Scrooge and turns it around. He doesn't sit and wallow in who he used to be. He's not like, well, I can't change my mind because I was bad yesterday. He's like, oh, I've had an epiphany. I need to let go of that person I was because I don't like that future. I want to change and he just changes. So if you feel like you're not worthy, I need you to tell me why somebody else is more worthy than you are. And the line is this, there's a work called belief repatterning. And the line is this, I forgive myself for believing dot, dot, dot. I forgive myself for believing I'm not worthy of success. In through your nose, out through your mouth, right? We're getting rid of those beliefs. So anytime you have a negative belief, you go right to that line. I used to make my kids sit all the time. I'm like, you forgive yourself for believing what? They're like, I'll never get this you know, math problem, or I'm never going to be, I'm like, I'm sorry. I forgive myself for what? And they're like I forgive myself for believing. I'm never going to get this math problem. Right. But it's that belief that we have to change. We have to get rid of that garbage because you are a human being with light, with value, with worth so much. You don't even know the people you impact. So who are you to decide that you aren't worthy of success?
2: And the beliefs are just things we think about a lot. Made up. Right. <laughs> so we can, easily, we can easily switch that to like, I'm the greatest triathlete exactly. in the world. And if, and if you start exactly. saying that over and over again, well, yeah. But then we get attached to what does greatest mean, right? And then we get all caught up in all of that. But if we just simply just switch that, that focus and awareness to what we want versus what we don't want, like it's the same. It's the same. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It's the same. Um, sounds like, uh, Sonny just threw down a journal assignment for everybody listening. So the it, question yeah. is, are you, are you going to act on it? Right. Cause yeah. we can read all the books. We can, I, I love your passion. Like I feel it. I feel your passion, like coursing through my body right now. And I love that. Um, and it's great, but it doesn't serve me if I don't, take what I'm feeling and put that into some sort of action today. Right? Like don't, don't wait to live. We
0: all know how to save money, spend less, save more. We all know how to get healthier. We all know how to love more. It's executing it, right? If you don't execute it, knowledge is
1: worthless. Faith without works dead. Yeah. Mm. Um, so as a busy mom, as somebody who is really now getting your voice out there, which the world needs more of, so keep going. Uh, not that you're going to stop. Uh, how do you make time for a lot? The the other thing we hear is like, I don't have time. I didn't have time. I didn't have time. And w- I think we've brainwashed our athletes enough to take ownership. Now they go, I didn't make the time. There you go. Um, <laughs> yeah. How do you, in the midst of five kids, James? Um, you know. Uh, being the force, I think that James would probably be the first one to say that you are the force behind the family. You're even in scheduling this podcast, you were like, well, I like to work out in the morning. So can we do it in the afternoon? Like you're speaking up for your needs. How do you get in? Because I know you love fitness. It's been a part of your life. You're the one that actually got James into running. How do you always seem to make the time?
0: Well, my favorite motto, life Quote for the world is You make time for what is important to you. And my friend Carly always says, How much TV do you watch? Because people are like, Oh, I watched all seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah, I don't have time for that. I'm like, You just watched like 40 hours of television, right? So I am really good at multitasking. So for instance, this morning I took my dog for a run in the mountains where I exercised the dog. I got to run and I did my emotional work at the same time. So there was a point that I stopped and cried on the trail today, just bald. And my dog sits up there, and just stares at me like, what are you doing? When are we going? <laughs> yeah, <that's true. laughs> you know, but it's like, I'll take the time to stop in a run and look out on the Valley and just be for 10 seconds. So I got three things done at once just by hitting the mountain. So then the other part is, um, if you're a morning person, do things in the morning. So I have this morning routine. I wake up, I hold a five minute plank. I brush my teeth. I read my scripture, my religious study. I say a prayer. And then I used to unload the dishwasher, but I've now pawned that off to a child. And then I drink my lemon water, lemon ginger water. And I do that all. And I do German. I'm learning German. I speak Spanish, so I'm learning German. I do all of that in the first 45 minutes I wake up, because then it's done for the day. I get the, we do our family religious study, and then I get the kids off to school, and then I hit the trail or I get on a bike or mountain bike or you know whatever I, I feel like doing that day. I play pickleball on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So if you're a morning person, great. But if you're not, don't fool yourself into thinking you're going to do that in the morning. Do it at night. I don't like to step late. I'm a morning person. So I've always done things in the morning. So find a day, Or how about this? You get a lunch break at work. Go walk around the parking lot for 10 minutes of that lunch break and decompress. Do forgiveness statements. Visualize, you know, imagine your whole body being filled with light. But do it on your lunch break. So you're getting two things done at once. So people, they tend to think, you know, it has to. I have to have one hundred percent attention honed in on this, you know, emotional connection. I don't have to be sitting in a room doing yoga to connect emotionally. I'm getting the dog run. I'm getting my own exercise. I'm in the mountains, so in itself that's healing. And then I'm sobbing on the trail, dumping my garbage. So figure out how you can multitask. If you commute to work, listen to classical music or meditation music, and just. Visualize with your eyes open. You know, there's ways to implement these things into your life that are two for one. I always call them a twofer. It's a twofer, two for one, right? Figure out how you can get them in without having to necessarily allot a specific time only for that, that theme or that action.
1: Yeah, I remember when I was trying to, um, you know, just <clears throat> get myself more into a controlled state of being and not be such an out of control fire. I remember like just starting to practice mindfulness, like just paying attention to what I was doing while I was doing it. And I would do, I had a 45 minute commute to this PT clinic where I was doing massage. And I remember I would just, I would feel my hands on the steering wheel and I would just relax my shoulders, you know, and in here I am now developing this, um, I'm developing a relationship with calmness, with presence, um, relaxation, not because I always had like neck and shoulder pain because I was. And you're kind of, like, not mad about traffic, no matter what. Right. And I'm not mad about oh. traffic. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, uh, and those things matter. Like, mm-hmm. I'll say to people, just feel your hands on the wheel. Like, w- well, hold on a second. It can't be that easy. Right. Like, you're in the problem. Well, the solution is right there too. You could just. Who are we talking? We were just doing an interview yesterday and the, and the woman was saying, like, if you're always going right, like you could also take a left. Right. The solution's just sitting there right in front of you. And so it's, you know, we have to use our will to to get out of um, our own messes and start looking to where we've got space to find the solution. Um, so you wouldn't know there was a left if you're not looking.
2: Right. Mm-hmm.
0: You're just like no, autopilot. And you're like. There's seventeen snow cone stands on the left, and you keep telling me you're thirsty. Like, they're all right there. But if you're always looking where, you know, to the right, right.
1: you right can see it. So your kids are getting older. What are your dreams like? What are you're so passionate? What What are your dreams for you? What do you what are, What are your visions when you sit and you do your envisioning for? what's what's coming in the future it could be a feel or maybe something specific i don't know where you are with that
0: so the most common ones are i like to visualize james and i as a grandma and grandpa in a sweet cabin we bought in the mountains surrounded by all of our extended family so you know like christmas break like even just today, when I was trying to change my mindset on the trail, I imagined a spring cabin or summer cabin experience and a winter one. The winter one, we were sledding with the grandkids and all the kids were relaxed and I booked everything. I booked the or booked the whole house with Costco groceries and everybody's just, it's just the feeling of the season, right? And then the summer, I was imagining mountain biking and hiking and, you know, campfires with all of this extended family. So that's one of my favorite ones. Like if I'm racing and I'm miserable, I always like take myself to spending time with my family. But for myself, um, I have a five-year plan, five-year-ish. I'll be 40 in April. So my plan is like, okay, by the time I'm 45, right now I'm just kind of creating the kindling and the small fire because my son's only 11 still. I'm not quite ready to dive into something, but I would like to start this kindling and start adding to this fire. So by the time I'm 45, I'm ready to pull the trigger. And um, It's to be connecting with people on a stage. And I don't really know what that means. I don't know if it means, you know, um, putting on events for women, particularly women. I'm really drawn to women and, like, teenage girls. Um, I guess maybe because James handles the men. I don't know. But uh, I I see myself on a stage connecting with people in the masses, the masses. But then I also see myself um, connecting with people personally. So, you know, I, have been doing energy work for a long time, 17 years now, and I've just kind of moved back into that and doing pro bono and, you know, connecting with some of my friends and teaching them how to deal with these emotions and get them out of their body and whatnot. But I don't really know where this is all going to take me. And, you know, I've been diligent in fasting and prayer to know my course. And the answer I get is this is the path. Just keep doing what you're doing. And I will pave it for you. So, you know, you always think you know what you want in life. But 15 years ago, the jobs that people are working didn't exist. They didn't exist. So how can you fantasize about what you want to do in 15 years when those ideas don't even exist yet? And that's where I say, okay, I hear God telling me to stick to this path and he'll pave the way. But I don't really know what the end is. It could be anything. So that's where I see it going and, you know, putting my, getting myself back out into the world. I've been a stay at home mom for a long time. And so traveling a little bit with James and kind of getting myself back out there into the world and seeing, you know, what it's like now, all these years later and connecting with people to maybe build this crew for myself.
1: Yeah, I think it's beautiful. And I love how um, you're just excited about it. You don't know all the details, the details, we'll the details themselves. are going to come. Mm-hmm. They'll show you'll get a little bit you know, along the way. And, um, yeah, it's, it's beautiful. It would be, I think it would be super cool. I said before, um, I wanted to spend some time with you, but it would be really cool for the four of us to do a show together to talk about like coupling, like
0: James and you. Yeah. That'd be cool. Sure. there would be some good banter. James and I are polar opposites on everything. We joke (laughs) that the only two things we have in common are salad and sushi. That's it. (laughs) And I said, I guess, you know, fitness, but even our perspective on fitness is different. He's full of the comp- competitive drive. And I'm like, well, I just want to go have fun. Mm-hmm. You know, so even the fitness experience is very different for both of us. So we're polar opposites. It's, it's quite dynamic when we're together.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I see some similarities yeah, between, sure. between us. Um, what do you want people to take away from the messages that you've dropped today? I think the most
0: generic one is you can have and do anything you want. Don't let anybody tell you what your limits are. Now, if you're some guy that's like, oh, I'm going to quit my job and not do anything and go for this dream. Oh, and I've used all of our money and I've racked up our credit and my marriage is struggling. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about burning the candle from both ends, keeping your job while figuring this plan out saving money while still spending money to figure out what your business is, right? It's not this impulsive, ridiculous thing. It's patience and strategy and planning, but really don't let anybody tell you what to do, man. Like you be you, you do you, and you feel confident in your path and you will succeed, but don't you dare let somebody you don't ask advice for give you feedback and tell you what to do when they don't know your heart, they don't know your dreams, and they don't know what you're capable of. And also, feel joy, feel happy. Spread sparkles, spread sunshine. Enjoy the the moments that suck and the the moments that are hard. Just bring out the sun. When things are ugly, bring out the sun and some cheer and cheer everybody up around
1: you. Yeah, That's beautiful. You're beautiful. So grateful to spend this time with you.
2: Thanks. Thanks, Sunny, so much.
1: Thank you, guys.